give it up for our drama team. Good job. Good job. Hey, listen, uh, we got some guests here with us today. Uh, Josh Mize, I believe I'm saying that right, Grace Covenant Christian Center in Waynesville, Missouri. He is the youth pastor. Josh, will you stand up and let us see you, bro? Where are you? There he is. All right. Awesome, man. Happy to have you. Thanks for coming. Uh, he is a youth pastor in the church where the Lamasters used to attend, so you may want to get him kind of off to the side, see if you can find out something about the Lamasters while he's here. Can we get together? You think we can get something? All right. All righty. Uh, welcome back. Let's give our uh, mission team a big welcome back, all the way from, back from Kentucky. <clears throat> They all look like human creamsicles. <laughs> Got on their orange t-shirts. Uh, we welcome a very special guest from the Apex area. So happy you're here with us uh, today. And I've seen others who are our guests today and have told me it's their first time. Listen, right after the service, we have a gift for you right over here. So pick it up before you leave. If you are, uh, maybe you were in church and you got out of church, or maybe you've just never really been in church and things have just been happening in your life, and um, you, uh, you know, are thinking about getting back in church, and you heard we're kind of weird over here, so you thought you'd start here, and um, we welcome you, amen, we welcome you. You know what they say about us around here, Whitley Church will take anybody, <laughs> I like, you know, I think they're cutting on us, but I love, I think it's a compliment, don't you? It's kind of like, that's how Jesus was, amen, amen, yes, yes. And um, so uh, after service, uh, we have a packet over here on this side uh, that will give you just some information, basic information about uh, serving God, what it means to serve God, and um, we will have an altar prayer here after the service if you'd like to come up and and pray. We, we welcome you to come. Our altars are alive and active, and uh, we want you to feel free to use the altar at the end of the service today. We're talking about attitudes. We're specifically talking about toxic attitudes. Last week, we said that attitude is defined as an internal position or feeling with regard to something else or someone else. Attitude is your inward disposition, your inward mindset, your inward uh, perception of people or circumstances. In the first message, we established that negative attitudes or toxic attitudes, or what I like to call messed up mindsets, deeply affect you as an individual. If your attitude's out of whack today, then, then you're affected by that in your individual life and in your, the level of your joy and your uh, ability to serve and be involved and make a difference in the kingdom and be fruitful if your attitude is messed up. Um, it will mess up families. Everybody in the family can have a great, healthy attitude except for one person, and that one person's bad attitude will mess up the whole family. Uh, teams, we have watched teams, sports teams, uh, ministry teams, all kinds of different teams get messed up because somebody on that team or a couple people had a messed up mindset. We've watched organizations that should have thrived. They had everything it took to thrive except the people who were in that organization had uh, negative, uh, toxic 
attitudes. And it gets in the church. It gets in the church. Now, of course, not in the people who come to this service, but I mean in the people who come in the other services. Amen. Y'all with me today? And so, uh, so toxic attitudes, uh, messed up mindsets make their way into the church. And a lot of churches are greatly um, hindered and held back because of messed up mindsets, wrong ways of thinking. The Bible says that when we come to Christ, and by the way, if you have not come to Christ, we hope you will in this service today, that you will accept Christ into your life and you will tell him today uh, how much you appreciate and understand that he died on the cross for you and died for your sins, was buried and rose from the dead that you might have life. And uh, you might want to say to him, I've been running from you, and I've been making all kinds of excuses not to follow you, but today uh, I want you to take over my life, and I want to follow you from this day on. How many have done that, and you're glad you've done that? You've asked Jesus in. Amen, amen. So we hope you'll do that today, and that's why the church exists. We want to help you, get you discipled and, and rooted into the Word of God, and, and teach you some things about how to be a victorious Christian, but make that decision today. When we become a new creation, when we become a Christian, when Jesus comes into our heart, along with that process of all things becoming new, old things being passed away, one of those those things is attitude. Attitude. Now, as you grow as a Christian and mature and develop as a Christian, you're going to uh, improve more and more and more in your attitude if you're uh, reading the right things and listening to the right teaching and you're spending your quiet time with God. Your attitude's going to get better and better and better. But I want to tell you, at the crisis moment that you accept Christ, and you are born into the family of God, you're what the Bible calls born again or saved, you ask Jesus into your heart, I believe at that very moment, part of that new creation is that you're gonna begin to think differently right then. You're gonna just begin to see things differently at that very moment. You're gonna be uncomfortable now with things you used to be very comfortable with, and you're gonna be very comfortable with things that you used to be uncomfortable with after you become a child of God. And one of those things, again, is attitude, how we think, how we perceive. Let's look in the Bible in Philippians 2 and 5. Philippians 2 and 5 says, your attitude <clears throat> should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And of course, we know that's a high bar to set. I mean, that's a pretty high goal. And it's not that we'll ever really achieve that in this life, but we should be striving to achieve it. We should always be working toward being more like Jesus. The Bible says, let this mind be where? In you. So the mind of Christ, let this mind be in you. Romans 12, 1 and 2, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the way you think, by the renewing of your mind, the renewing of your attitude. Look at Ephesians 4 and 22. Ephesians 4 and 22 says, you were taught with regard to your former way of thinking, your former way of perceiving, your former way of um, your former disposition, your former attitude, your former way of life, you were taught to put away or put off the old way of thinking, the old way of perceiving, the old way of processing things, put off the old self, y'all with me out there? Put it off, which is be, and the reason we wanna put it off is because it is being what? Corrupted with its what? 
deep, deceitful desires. And here's what God wants us to do. Be made new. Be made new where? In the attitude of our, I'm telling you guys, listen, listen, listen. What goes on between these two ears will mess you up. It will mess you up. As a matter of fact, I want to say something, and you may not agree with this. And if you do not agree with this, come up after service and I'll forgive you. But listen, I believe a person can receive Christ, but I believe they can continue to think the old way. If they're not in the right kind of atmosphere, if they're not in, if they're not receiving the right kind of teaching, if they're not being discipled, if they're not being led, they can receive Christ, but continue to think mostly the way they used to think. And so it is important as we go through this message that you understand that it is your responsibility to pursue the mind of Christ. And you do that through small group and through Bible study and through the the discipleship classes we offer here, through your own personal quiet time, your own personal Bible study, your own personal prayer time, seeking uh, new ways of perceiving, new ways of thinking, because it can and will uh, take the joy out of your life as a Christian. Um, uh, Two things that every Christian wants, as a matter of fact, I think two, two things that every person, whether they have accepted Christ or not, really desire is to be fulfilled and fruitful. I mean, you want to have a sense of fulfillment in your life, and, and you want to have a sense that you're making a difference, that, that you're being fruitful. And at the end of your life, people will say, here is their fruit. Here's what they uh, accomplished for God. Here, here's what they did. They, and out of their fruitfulness, they had a sense of fulfillment but I, and what i'm telling you today is because i love you is because is that if your mindset is messed up you will be neither fruitful nor fulfilled and you will go through your life miserable and you will not only go through your life miserable but you will make other people miserable around you and the people said Matthew 7 uh, you might not uh, when i begin to read this uh, You might not think it goes along with this message, but stay with me. Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, and the sayings of mine, this is Jesus talking, and and when Jesus talks, then it is the word of God. It is the word of God. So therefore, whoever hears the word of God, studies the word of God, digs in the word of God, gets to know the word of God, reads the word of God, uh, and does the word of God, you know it and do it, I will liken that person to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. Then Jesus said, but everyone who hears the word of God, studies the word of God, uh, goes to Bible study, whatever, these sayings of mine, the word of God, and does not do it. Knowledge only, no follow through. The book of James talks about that, looking in the mirror. The Bible's like a mirror. You look into the word of God and see a reflection of who you really are. And then you walk away from the mirror of God's word and forget what you saw. And I gotta tell you something, that happens every Sunday in churches around the world. It happens in this church. 
because you hear the message. It might even bring a tear to your eye. But before you know it, halfway down the road, you have got bojangles on the brain. And you have forgotten what you heard. That's why at the end of my sermons, I pray often, God, help us not to forget. We need to meditate on the word. Listen, these messages I preach are not my word. They're his. So I have to meditate on them. And before I bring these messages and they work on you, believe me, they've already worked on me. And I've had to stop many times in my sermon preparation and get on my knees and say, Lord, I am very guilty of that right there. And I need you to help me with that weakness in my life. So look what Jesus says in verse 26. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Not on the rock, but on the sand, because he does not do the word of God. He only hears it. And when he built his house on the sand, guess what happened? The rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Everybody repeat after me. The winds will blow. The rain will fall. The floods will come. And I got to live in the house I built. Whatever house you build up here, you got to live in it. Whatever attitude house, whatever disposition house, whatever mindset you build for yourself, you got to live in it. You say, well, maybe the rain won't come. Oh, no, it's coming. You say, well, I have faith. You're going to need it because the rain's coming. Uh, you say, well, I have faith and I don't ever get in trouble. Sure. That's good preaching. There's just one thing wrong with it. It ain't true. Trouble comes to how many of us? I mean, you're either in it, coming out of it, God's giving you a break, or you're about to go in it. Storms are coming. So the winds will blow, the rain will fall, the floods will come, and when they come, you are stuck with living in the mental house you have built for yourself. So in this sermon series, we're going to look at a list of uh, very destructive attitudes that you can build um, a very miserable house for yourself to live in. Number one, we talked about last week, control freak. Control freak. Now, last week, something happened. I'm just not going to tolerate it this week. Stop pointing at people. We're just not going to have that. Stop it. That's being a control freak when you point at other people. You're going, it's him, it's him. Okay. Last week, we discussed the characteristics of a control freak, and I have to tell you, I think all of us saw a little bit of ourselves in there. I think we all did. Mostly you guys, less me, but mostly you guys. And we talked about the worst form of control. In my estimation, the worst form of control is something called emotional dependency. Now, let me just begin by saying that emotional dependency is not love. Emotional dependency is not love. Here's what emotional dependency is. It is a condition resulting when the ongoing presence and or nurturing of another person is believed necessary for personal security. Now, I gave you a list last week of some signs to look for 
that would reveal that you're either moving into or someone you love or care about is moving into an emotionally dependent relationship or possibly someone you love or care about is already involved in a codependent emotional relationship. You say, well, pastor, what are we supposed to do when these relationships happen? They're toxic, they're poisonous, and we're gonna talk about them in depth today. Well, here's what the Bible says you need to do about these kind of relationships in Proverbs 4 and 23. It says, above all else, you gotta guard your heart. You gotta guard your heart. Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So if in your heart, you're having a, a emotionally dependent, toxic relationship, and that's going on in your heart and in your mind, then that's going to stop you from being a wellspring of life. God wants you to be a wellspring of life. You're to be giving life, giving life. As a child of God, you're to be giving life to your children, giving life to your spouse, giving life to the people you work with, giving life to the people you go to school with. And if you get in the wrong kind of relationship, it will stop you from being a wellspring of life. So you have to guard your heart. Now, let's talk about the difference between a toxic codependent relationship and a healthy friendship, interdependent relationship. A healthy relationship is free. A healthy relationship is generous. The two people involved in a healthy relationship give the other person freedom. They don't try to control them. They give them freedom. They, they give them a sense of generous love and, and generous trust. Both friends and a healthy relationship are eager uh, for their friend to include other friends in their activities and in the things they do. They're not threatened by other people uh, coming into uh, the friendship. A healthy relationship is one <clears throat> where the people involved experience joy when their friend hits it off with others and makes another friend. Um, in a good, healthy relationship, uh, a true friend desires to see their friend flourish. Uh, they decide, they uh, uh, desire to see their friend reach his or her full potential. And, and when their friend develops new interests or new hobbies or new skills, uh, they don't try to control them and and they're not threatened by that, but they're happy for their friend. They're, they rejoice for their friend. That's a healthy relationship. Let's talk about what an independent, codependent um, relationship uh, looks like. An emotional relationship. It's, it's toxic. It's ingrown. Um, it, it creates mutual stagnation. Uh, when a person says uh, to, to their friend, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to go to school. I don't want you to uh, volunteer for that ministry at the church. I don't want you to take that ministry director position because they're trying to control this relationship. Am I making sense today? Uh, they want to limit the personal growth of the person they're a friend with. Uh, this is a sign that it is a toxic relationship. A casual remark from a codependent friend uh, can send you to the heights of ecstasy or it can send you to the pits of grief. 
Uh, if one of the people involved in a codependent relationship moves away, the other one is gripped with anguish and, and panic and desperation. Instead of that relationship being joyful and healing and upbuilding and uplifting, it is a relationship that produces bondage. So that's the difference in a codependent relationship and a healthy interdependent relationship. Next, what are the environments? What are some of the environments or situations that are fertile ground for a toxic, emotionally dependent relationship? Uh, emotionally dependent relationships usually come as a surprise. People don't, uh, listen, if you're not really walking in intimacy with God and, and you're not uh, uh, staying on your knees in prayer and you're not reading your Bible and staying close to God, then we lose something that I preached on several months ago uh, called discernment. So you're not able to discern that this relationship is headed in the wrong direction. And so a lot of times you're already in the firm grip of a codependent uh, relationship, an emotionally dependent relationship. You're already in the grip of it before you realize what's happened. At the same time, these relationships do not take place in a vacuum. There are certain personalities and there are certain situations that can set us up for relationships that bring bondage into our life rather than freedom. Having an awareness of these setups are very important. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says, do not be ignorant of the devices of the devil. That you need to be aware of his devices. And I want to say to you this morning that I am preaching on one of the devices of the enemy. Are y'all with me today? It is, this is a device of the enemy. And we have to be very careful because he is very subtle. You, you know that the enemy is a wolf but dresses like a sheep. He is a power of, he is a power of darkness, but he, but he comes across like an angel. He, he's very, very subtle. And, and so we have to be close to God to have this discernment. So we need to have an awareness of things that set us up for this kind of uh, toxic relationship so that we can exercise special caution when we're going in uh, to certain relationships and situations. So what kind of personalities are vulnerable? Well, first of all, let me say, and this may, you may not agree with this either, but, but I'm telling you this is true. Anyone can fall into this, anyone. Uh, um, we, when you have the right pressures, given the right pressures, given the right circumstances, any one of us are susceptible, but there are a few common personality patterns that consistently gravitate toward this form of dependency. And here, here's what the basic combination is. The basic combination is an individual who seems, appears to have it all together. That's one person in that relationship. The other one is a person who is very needy. They need attention, they need, they, they need protection, they sense, they need strength from other people. And so when you put this person who appears to have it all together with this person who appears to have a lot of needs, it creates a toxic relationship. Now I'm gonna give you some examples of people who can get into this, but the things I'm gonna mention are not wrong in themselves. It's just that people who are involved in the kind of things I'm gonna talk about in just a minute, you have to be especially careful. And I'm in this group. And the first one is counselor, 
coupled with a person who has a lot of problems and a lot of needs. Because the counselor is that one who appears to have it all together. The one needing the help, of course, is the one who has the needs for security and protection and strength and all of that. So those of you who are counselors, and some of you are counselors professionally, some of you are counselors just because God's given you the gift. You have the gift of encouragement. And so you can get with people who are down or people who have a wrong perception of life and and they're kind of discouraged or depressed. You have the ability to get with them and help them get a new perspective, help them to see things differently because God's given you the gift of encouragement. That's a wonderful thing, but you have to stay close to God because that's one of those situations that can fall into a toxic relationship if you're not very careful. So... um, So again, you've got that counselor, that in-control person, and the person who needs direction. Um, This may surprise you what I'm about to say, but I've seen this many times as a pastor in my almost 40 years as a pastor. I've seen it many times, and that is parents can create uh, a situation where their children are codependent on the parent. And, uh, and, and I know our children are, depend on, are to depend on us, but there is a, a process, there is a normal procedure uh, as children grow that they become more and more separated from us. They become more and more dependent. They become more and more on their own. Amen? Amen? I mean, you want to just kind of, you know, get them on out the house. So if you're not wanting to get them on out the house, you may be messed up. Amen. Because it is wrong as a parent to make their child codependent on them. And I see this. I see this in the church. I'm not going to point. But I see this. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I see parents who love their children more than they love their spouse. And I see people who love their children more than they love God. And that is grounds for a toxic relationship between even a parent and a child. Um, We want our children to sprout wings. We want our children to become, uh, to, to have interdependent relationships with other people and to grow up and to move on and to take care of themselves. So be very careful with that, mom and dad. Um, another relationship is a teacher and a student. A lot of your teachers, some of your teachers here at the church, some of your teachers in the public school system or the Christian school system, and uh, you have kids there who uh, are, are, are needing knowledge and needing to be cared for, needing to be loved, and sometimes toxic relationships can break out there, and we see it in the news all the time, don't we? We see it in the news, so we have to be uh, very careful with that. So although these pairs appear to have one strong person and one needy person, you know what they actually have? Two needy people. The the strong person in a codependent relationship looks like they're not needy, but they are needy. They, They need to be needed. They need to be admired. They need to be loved. So they have that need. And then you have, of course, the other person uh, uh, who is a weaker or seems to be a weaker person, and it's actually two needy people. It's actually two weak people uh, together. The strong one uh, usually has a, a, a deep need to be needed again, and the weaker one appears, who appears weaker often is the control 
controller in the situation, in the relationship. The one who appears the most timid, the most shy, uh, is often the one who controls that relationship. Okay? So when are people most susceptible to this? When are they most susceptible? Anytime you're feeling insecure, anytime you don't feel secure, uh, different, different, er- different times in life, different seasons in life uh, can make you vulnerable to this. So let's look at some seasons in life that you need to be especially careful that you don't fall into these traps. And by the way, anybody who wants these notes, I will email you these notes. My email address is feral, F-E-R-R-E-L-L, at whitleychurch.com. So if you're trying to write all this down, don't even worry about it. I'll send it to you, just $10, okay. It's free, it's free. All right, life crisis. Uh, if, you, if you have a relationship breakup where you've been with someone for a long time and there's a breakup, that sets you up. The, uh, the, I'm not saying you'll fall into a top, but it sets you up. It's fertile ground. The next one is the death of someone close to you. The death of someone close to you. The loss of a job. How about that? in the economy that we live in. I hear a rattler, if we can stop that rattler, I'd appreciate that. Um, uh, so, so a relationship breakup, the death of someone close, the loss of a job, guys, these are things that set you up for that relationship. A transition period, adjusting to a new job uh, can set you up for it. Moving to a new home, getting engaged or being newly married. And uh, we, we've got some newlyweds around here, and they, they look like they're fine to me. But any big change in your life can set you up. Uh, leaving high school and starting university, uh, even becoming a Christian uh, um, can do that. I've seen uh, people accept Christ as a, they're, they're like a little babe, you know, and they, they got needs and they don't understand much about the Bible. And then I've seen somebody who has been a Christian a long time, doesn't mean they're really very mature. How many of you know being a Christian a long time doesn't mean you're a mature Christian? All right, so h- how many of y'all know some Christians who've been Christians for 30 years, but they're still a little, okay, all right, don't point. All right, so, so I've seen these people pounce on these folks who are new in the Lord and really control them. Y'all seen this happen in the church before? Now, I'm going to tell you something. There are some codependent relationships that I have to be very careful as I approach those, like a parent-child. If I see that, I have to be very careful how I approach that. But that one right there, I'm going to go get all up in your grill on that one. The one I just mentioned. Because, because we're just not going to let a person under the auspices of spirituality control another person. Does this make any sense to anybody? All right, y'all going to stand behind me when I have to do that? Thank all four of you. Okay. Peak pressure periods. How about final examinations week? Final exam week. Anybody know about final exam week? How about you guys who have, who's got, a, who's got a job in here that has a lot of deadlines? A lot of deadlines. I do. I have that. I have to write a thesis every week. And, and you people are killing me. Can I just say that y'all are killing me? Uh, because most pastors, uh, when they're done on Sunday, they're okay till the next Sunday. Y'all got me coming back Thursday. Thursday is our first service. And so when you have a job that has a lot of deadlines, uh, that can, and, and really, it's pressure. 
It's pressure. It's not that in and of itself, but it's the pressure that comes with that. Personal or family illness uh, can set you up for that when there's a lot of pressure there. Uh, holidays like Christmas make you very vulnerable. When we're away from the familiar and the secure, it can happen. Vacations and summer camp and uh, conferences that you would go to where you're alone at that conference, it can set you up for some bad hookups, some bad relationships. Uh, if you have to go to jail or to prison, uh, it, it can set you up for that kind of thing. Hey, listen, those of you who are in the military, those of you who are in the military, first of all, you leave, like, like if you're from California and they put you in Goldsboro, that's like another planet right there, amen? Because, I mean, we're saying, we're saying stuff like collard greens and, and uh, you, you know, we talk about barbecue and you guys have got this uh, whole thing in mind and we bring you this stuff that looks like it's already been chewed up by somebody. I mean, there it is. And we call that barbecue. And we've, had, uh, we've had dinner with the staff. You know, we have dinner with the staff about every three, every two months. And uh, that's the dinner all the new people come to. And uh, we put our Carolina barbecue out there. And I can't tell you the people who have gone in and gone, all righty, whoa, what is that right there? What is that? <laughs> what is that? So, so when you, in the military, first of all, you're moved, you know, here. That's enough right there. Then they take one of you and send you over there. And I mean, you're stuck here with the kids. It may be the wife who has to go, or maybe the husband has to go. We've had a couple of situations where both the husband and wife were in the military. And uh, so guys, you guys in the military, we love you so much. And that's why we've got Military Appreciation Week coming up starting Wednesday. We love you. We want to be there for you. We want to help you in any way we can, and, and uh, military is one of those areas. That's why you hear a lot of times, and this is not a, uh, I'm not dogging on military folks, good grief, we love you so much, but that's why you hear about affairs sometimes, and, and even suicides, uh, we, we've read a lot about that, is because there's just so much going on. Not only is the, the horror of being over there in war and the horror of going through all of that over there, but worrying about your family and your family worrying about you. And, and so military families, let us love on you. Let us be there for you. Don't mind calling us. If you're struggling, man, you don't mind calling us. Let us love on you and be there for you, okay? Times of boredom and depression will set you up. And when I say boredom, I don't mean lazy. A lot of people think if you're really busy, you won't be bored. How many of you have been very, very busy and bored at the same time? Me too. Uh, us creative types, us type A types. Um, and depression can set in and make you vulnerable. So the best way to avoid trouble is to recognize times when you know you're going to need some special support or you know your family's going to need it and plan ahead. A young lady came up to me this morning. She said, my husband and I are going to be transferred in about a year. And she said, I want to make sure that I get a list of good churches in that area. I want to make sure I get a list of good Christian schools in that area because I want us to go into that area knowing what we're going to do church-wise. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that great? That's a great mom and a, and a great wife right there. And uh, we're going to certainly help her out. 
So plan ahead for these needs to be met in healthy ways. And here's some healthy ways they can be met. Small groups, and guys, we're working really hard. If you'll help us, uh, we need more small group leaders. We need people to rise up and say, I'll give my home for a small group meeting. So keep doing that. Contact Kevin Caps and contact Pastor Andy. Um, some of you, again, have the gift of counseling or the gift of encouragement, and uh, we need you to rise up so that when people come to us, the staff can't handle the whole load of people who need to talk and need to have somebody to interact with. So those of you who have that gift, rise up, and we want to connect people with counselors, good Christian counselors. Um, increase your contact with your family, even if it's through email or Skype or whatever. If you're away from home, try to stay connected to your family. And uh, the most important thing you can do to prevent these kind of toxic relationships, guys, is to maintain your walk with Christ. Maintain your walk with Christ. Nothing more important than that. During vulnerable times, let your friends and family know you need their support. Problems only develop when we lean too much on one person to meet all of our needs. Now, in closing, now when I say in closing, tell the, tell the visitors what that means. Absolutely nothing. But it gives you what? Hope, yes, okay. So, so, and we're all about hope here at the church. We're all about hope. Uh, so let's look very quickly in, in these last 10 minutes, let's look very quickly at the roots of a dependent relationship. What makes us prone to this kind of toxic relationship? Now, here's the bottom line. I want you to hear me on this. This is not a little pop psychology lesson today. Uh, a college student came up to me and said, man, I felt like I was in psych class taking all these notes while you're going through that. And, 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 and I think we do need to look at that and we do need to study that because that is part of who we are. But you've got to get this. This is the bottom line. In a codependent relationship, one or both people involved are looking to a person to meet their basic needs for love and security rather than looking to Jesus. It's Jesus. Listen, the reason I brought up husbands and wives, even that can be toxic. Even that can be toxic when you are looking to your wife to provide for you what only Jesus can provide for you. Some of you men are giving your wives pure hell because you won't get right with God and you're wanting her to give you what only God can give you. That's, that meant y'all missed a great amen right there. It's because I'm telling you, that's going on. A lot of men run from God, or either they accept Christ and then live right on the edge. They live right on the edge. They won't go any deeper with Christ. And then they bellyache and moan toward their wife because their wife isn't meeting some need that Jesus was meant to meet in you, sir. Amen. Maybe come down there. I'm coming down there. And, and wives, you do it too. <laughs> now I got some amens in. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Wives just, just gripe and moan and, and criticize their husband because they want him to do something only God was meant to do in your life. And what, and what the problem is, is you're not close to God. You need to get close to God because he's going to meet that need in your life. That's good preaching right there. 
All right. If the underlying spiritual and emotional problems are not brought to the surface and resolved, this is a pattern that will continue unbroken in your life. I mean, you may be here, you may get a job transfer to Florida, but if you don't get those, those things dealt with in your life spiritually, those unmet needs, you're going to develop a codependent relationship in Florida. You're just taking that baggage with you. That's a good place for amen right there too. Typical root problems that promote dependency include the sin of covetousness. Covetousness is when you desire to possess something or someone who doesn't belong to you, who God has not given you. That is a sin. That is covetousness. Idolatry is when a person is at the center of your life rather than Christ being at the center of your life. Is anybody hearing me out there? Rebellion is when you refuse to surrender certain areas of your life to Christ. You're going to walk on the edge. You got your little ticket to heaven, and you just go walk right on the edge. You're not going any further in in your relationship with God. That's rebellion. And when you rebel against God, you set yourself up for these kinds of hellish. And I'm telling you, man, I'm telling you, these kind of relationships are hellish. You will hate it if you fall into it then there's the sin of mistrust. And this is when a person fails to believe that God has all they need and that God will meet all their needs if they do things his way. And then there is this problem of hurts from your past. Some of you were abused in your past. You were abused verbally. You were abused in the way you were treated. Some abused sexually. Some abused physically, beaten. And, and this will give you, if you don't deal with this and you don't let God deal with this in you, it's going to create a low self-esteem, feelings of rejection. It's going to de uh, create deep in you, unmet need for love. And then you're going to reach out to any kind of love you can get. And when you reach out to any kind of love you can get because somebody hurt you in the past, you're going to have as much pain in your future as you had in your past. Hear the word of the Lord today. Bitterness or resentment toward those who have hurt us will open us up for wrong relationships. I know people who have, who have married people out of spite. I know, I know children who married people because their mom and dad gave the, just, just made it so difficult. Instead of having a conversation with them, they demanded, they drew lines, they built barriers and walls. And as soon as that kid was old enough to get over those walls and those barriers, they ran. And I'm not saying everybody who's had that happen in your life, I'm not blaming parents today. But, but guys, sit down and talk. Sit down and talk. Don't just say no. Just explain why. You have to explain. It's like, it's like a church that you would go to that all they do is rail against sin. And all they do is preach and rail against sin. And there's some people who love churches like that. What I'm going to do, I'm going to try to tell you what sin is, but I want to tell you why God doesn't want you to do that thing because it's going to hurt you. That's what, we, that's what you have to do as a parent is you have to sit down and go, look, I want you to be happy. I want you to have a great time. I want you to have fun. I want you to be with your friends. But I'm just telling you right now, that that guy or that gal is going to lead you down the wrong road. And you just have a conversation with them rather than just, you know, and I know there are times you have to nail it down, 
But just don't build resentment in your children. Don't build bitterness in them. The Bible talks about that over in the book of Hebrews. I believe it's chapter 12. It talks about that. So these sins and hurts need to be confessed and they need to be healed before real freedom can be experienced. And this can only happen through our personal times with the Lord and other members of the body of Christ. Okay. Um, Dependent relationships can form in opposite sex. A a boy and girl, man and woman can have an independent relationship uh, or or codependent relationship, I'm sorry. Uh, Same sex can have codependent relationship. As a matter of fact, you can have someone who struggles with homosexuality. They can develop a a codependent relationship with somebody who really doesn't have any um, homosexual tendencies or temptations in that area, but they need love so much and they need acceptance so much that they will fall into that. Am I making any sense up here? Y'all ain't gonna leave me up here by myself, are you? And they can happen between married couples, and I mentioned that, between parents and children. Now, here's what you have to remember. Listen to what I'm saying right here. In the heart of the gospel, in the heart of the gospel, the death of Jesus on the cross, and the resurrection of Jesus from the grave, in the heart of the gospel is a message of truth that can free us from self-seeking, toxic relationships. Your freedom, your friend's freedom. Maybe you're not dealing with this at all right now in your life, but in the future when you see it, remember that it is in Jesus that our deliverance comes. It is not in a counselor. It is not in a book on codependency, and I'm not against counselors or books on this topic, but lead them to Jesus. That's where it's broken, and the people said. Look in Proverbs 21 and 2. Now, here's why it is so hard to lead people out of these relationships, because every way of a man is right in his own eyes. So if you have a family member or a friend or you are hearing me preach today and you're feeling like you want to come up here and choke me because I've nailed you today, um, um, it's because every way of a man is right in his own eyes. And you're like, who are you? How do you know my relationship? And, And you're going to get that reaction now. When people are in this kind of relationship and they're deep in it, they're going to tell you, who are you? But the Lord weighs the... So, let's look very quickly. I know what time it is. It doesn't matter, but I know. We look at how, let's look at how these relationships are maintained. How a person who's in it keeps it going and it's maintained by manipulation. Manipulation is an ugly word. None of us like to think we would ever manipulate another person. But one writer said, as I was reading about this, that manipulation is the glue that holds emotionally codependent, toxic relationships together. Manipulation is the glue. Do y'all hear me? Is somebody somebody manipulating you? Is somebody manipulating, manipulating your child? Is somebody manipulating your friend? The definition of manipulation is attending or attempting rather 
attempting to control people or circumstances through deceptive or indirect means. The word manipulation has often been described as being insidious in its nature. The word insidious means treacherous. The word treacherous means awaiting a chance to entrap. Seductive. Manipulation is seductive. It means, the word seductive means, listen to this, harmful, very harmful, knowingly harmful, but enticing. Harmful, but there's something that pulls us toward that harmful thing. Subtle. Manipulation is subtle. This is so important because that's how the enemy comes. And that means that it develops, these relationships develop so gradually that they are well established before they become apparent. Having a gradual but cumulative effect. Now let me just give you very quickly some forms of manipulation. We're going to run through them quickly. When a person starts talking to you or talking to your family, your friend, or whoever about combining the things they own, combining finances, combining personal possessions, moving in together, whoop, 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 those alarms ought to go off. Gifts, gifts. Giving gifts and cards regularly for no special occasions, such as flowers, jewelry. It's got baked goods down here, but I'm going to leave that out because I really like to get those. Flowers, jewelry, baked goods, gifts, gifts that are symbolic of the relationship. We're going to buy these rings, and you wear this one, and I'll wear this one because these two rings go together. Or I'll wear half a heart, and you wear the other half of the heart. Now, now that's okay in some situations between uh, uh, a man and woman who love each other. But these things that are okay can be very poisonous in the wrong setting. Am I making sense? I don't want you to think that all these things, I mean, if y'all got gifts for me, I promise I won't become codependent if you just bring them on. But I'm just saying, these are signs. Clothes, wearing each other's clothing, copying each other's clothing styles, little romanticisms like poetry and music, now, see, in a marriage relationship, this one, this one is not, this is good. But outside a marriage relationship, you've got to be just really careful with some of this stuff. Poetry and music, other romanticisms to provoke emotional responses. Physical affection, body language, frequent hugging, touching, roughhousing, back and neck rubs, tickling and wrestling. These are things that, that can develop into something very toxic and are signs that it could already be toxic. Eye contact, staring, giving meaningful or seductive looks. Here's another way eye contact is used, refusing to make eye contact to punish the other person because they haven't done what you want them to do. What is that? Control. That is a manipulation. That is a method of control. Flattery. When you begin to say things like, you're the only one who understands me. I don't know what I would do if you left me. I don't know what I would do without you. Look what Proverbs 29.5 says. 
Whoever flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his feet. Now, now in some settings, that kind of language is okay. But in some, it's just whacked. Y'all remember my big word from last week, whacked? Conversational triggers like flirting and teasing and using special nicknames and referring to things that have special meaning to the both of you. Failing to be honest with that person. In other words, they have faults and failures, but you don't dare bring them up or you don't dare talk about those things. You repress negative feelings. You repress any differing opinion you would have of that person because you don't want to do anything that would threaten that relationship. Neediness, creating or exaggerating problems to gain attention and sympathy. Guilt. Make the other pe- uh, person in the relationship feel guilty because they didn't meet a need in your life or you had an expectation of them and they didn't do it. You, you would say something, you would hear this kind of language. If you loved me, you would. That's manipulation. That's manipulation. Saying, uh, I was going to call you last night, but I know you're probably too busy to bother with me. Oh, you know what they're wanting when they say that? They're wanting you to go, no, 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 I love you. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I'm supposed to love everybody. And I love you. Call me what? Anytime. They will. Do not tell them that. You say, but I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to love everybody unconditionally. I'm supposed, I'm supposed look, that is, that is the enemy using a truth and twisting it and distorting it and perverting it, trying to get you to do something that's going to get you in a bunch of trouble. Amen, pastor. Threats. Well, if you're not going to go with me on this trip, then I don't even know if I want to live. Y'all heard that? You heard a subtle threat of suicide? That's a manipulative, selfish thing. How about this one? You know, I'm new in the Lord, and and I I really haven't been that strong in my Christian life, and I don't know, if you don't go with me to this conference, I don't know if I'll go, and then if I don't go to the conference, I don't know if I can make it as a Christian making you responsible for their walk with God. See, I'd have to slap that person. I'm sorry. I know some of y'all got visitors here. I'm sorry. Pouting, brooding, cold silences. What's wrong? Nothing. I got to tell you, you women got that one. I tell y'all good. I'm just, I, I just... Honey, what was the matter? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you okay? I mean, really, is everything okay? Sure, yes. <laughs> these, are, these are manipulative. Uh, undermining other relationships, convincing him or her not to be friends with somebody. Let me tell you what a, a person who wants a codependent relationship will do. They will turn your, you against your family. They will turn you against your family. They will talk about, they will, they will make it sound like your family is trying to do to you what they're actually the ones trying to do to you. And they will turn your family against you. Let me tell you something. 
If somebody is turning you away from your family, wake up. Quit being foolish. Your family loves you. Wake up. Making friends with the partner's other friends. Like, like if, if I'm trying to develop a co-relationship, with some, a codependent relationship with somebody right here, I want to get over here between them and their other friends and make friends with them so I can keep them out of their life. I'm telling you, man, it's manipulative and very dangerous. And then time is another or, or provoking insecurity, uh, withholding approval, picking on the partner's weak points to keep them down and keep them insecure, threatening to end the relationship if they don't do this or do that. Uh, time, they will keep the other uh, person's time so occupied that they don't even have time to be with their other friends. Do y'all see what I'm saying? Now look, there's nothing wrong with hugging and, and, and honest praise and encouragement and giving gifts. All of that's good in the right setting. I'm just telling you the enemy can twist this stuff and make it a bad thing. Now let me give you this, and I know this is going to tear your nerves up, but, but I want to give it to you. Put the, put the next slide up, guys. Next slide. Thank you. Five reasons why codependent relationships are hard to break. Number one, because there's fleshly benefits. If a person is in need of being valued and, and, and a person in that codependent relationship is making them feel valued, then it feels pretty good. So one of the reasons they don't want to break off that codependent relationship is because it feels good fleshly. It's, it has some fleshly benefits. Number two, it's not viewed as sin. They don't see it as sin. See, let me tell you, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says God is love. God is love. But you know what our culture has done? It has turned that around and said love is God. Love is God. Any kind of love is God. Wrong. Wrong. Any kind of love isn't God. God is always love, but love isn't always God. Don't make, I'm coming down. So they don't view it as sin. They say things like, um, they say things like, uh, uh, our relationship is beautiful. And it's noble because we haven't had any sexual relations. So our, our relationship is noble and good. And who do you think you are, you right-wing Bible thumpers, coming down here telling me it's a sin? So they're going to fight you on that because they don't view it as a sin. As a matter of fact, I've had people in co-dependent relationships tell me, um, I'm actually closer to God when I'm with this person. What they didn't tell me was when they weren't with that person, they were moving away from God. And when they're with that person, they're neglecting their family and it's destroying their marriage and every other relationship they got. Wake up! It's whacked! Do y'all hear me? Don't be afraid to look at a relationship and go, that is messed up right there. Don't you, just because you're a Christian and God said love and love unconditionally and accept all people, that doesn't mean that you fall into this love is God thing. Love isn't God, God is love. Do you see the difference? Remember that old song, if love in you is right, wrong, I don't want to be right, that kind of thing. If loving you is wrong, I need to get back in the altar, get my life right with God, and get back with my husband, get back with my wife. So they don't view it as sin. Look at the third thing. 
root problem's not dealt with. The root problem's not dealt with. We have a ministry in our church called Elijah House. It's a wonderful ministry. Amen. And they deal, these people in this ministry and have gone through this training, they deal with root problems. Listen, there are strongholds. There are some people who might be into an emotionally dependent relationship and it can be broken easily. But there might be some deep roots. It might have gone on a long time and it might be rooted in past abuse and past all kind of stuff. And you need some ministry. You need some counsel. You need some some, uh, time with somebody who can help bring about that deliverance and that freedom in your life, unhealed hurts, unfulfilled needs, and an unrepentant heart, and we fall into these relationships or we return to them because we never dealt with the roots. So root causes won't be dealt with. Look at number five. Spiritual influences over overlooked. Listen, listen. This is spiritual warfare. It's spiritual warfare. I know I'm preaching too long, but the doors are locked. Y'all can't get out. Listen. <laughs> Spiritual warfare. I know we don't say devil in the church anymore. Three things we don't say in the church anymore. We don't say devil, hell, or sin anymore. So I'm going to say it. Devil, hell, sin, devil, hell, sin, devil, hell, sin. Now, you know what my staff's going to do? They're going to get the recording of me doing that, and they're going to play it over and over and over during the week. Going, what were you preaching on then, pastor? Devil, hell, sin? Yes. There is a devil. There is a hell. It is sin. Come on, man. We, I tell you, we've gotten so politically correct in the church, we can't even talk to people about what the real problem is. <laughs> Spiritual influences. You go to a counselor, read a book, but I'm telling you, you need deliverance. You need freedom. You need somebody to pray over you. That Satan is like a leech, man. He just hooks on you and just sucks a life out of you. And, the, and these strongholds are like that. They're just like a, a weight on you. I could just preach on that. Go to number five. Refusal to give up sin. People will say, uh, yeah, yeah, I know it's wrong. I know it's wrong. So you work with them and you pray with them and you counsel with them. And, and, they, and, and you think you're getting somewhere and you've wore yourself out. And they... Next thing you know, they're right back in up to here. And, and the fact is, they just won't give it up. They don't want to give it up. I'm telling you guys, if it happens, it can be treacherous, awful. I don't want you to go through it. I don't want your children to go through it. And the reason I wanted to preach on this is because you guys are so loving in this church. You're so loving We get these cards back from our visitors and they talk about the love, the love, the love. I want you to be loving. I want you to continue to be loving. I want to continue to get those cards back. But here's what Satan will do. He will take that loving spirit you have and he will try to get you to believe that love is God. It isn't love is God. God is love. Amen, amen, amen. Father, thank you. I just pray over this congregation today. I know I preached too long, Lord. Please forgive me. I hope the people will forgive me. I just pray over this congregation today, Lord. Let us get this in us. Let us get this word in us, Lord, and, and, and change us. God, open our eyes. Let us see. Don't let us be deceived. Give us discernment. Wake us up. Shake us. Shake us, God. Those who are in these relationships, shake them. 
My, my mom, when I, when I would be uh, just misbehaving and stubborn, my mom would just get me sometimes, she'd give me a good shake, and I would kind of wake up out of my rebellion. And, and God, maybe that's what we need. It's just a, a sh- for you to shake us and, and wake us up. And Father, we, we're going to pray with people around this altar, and, and um, we just want to see people free. That's all. In Jesus' name. And everybody said... Thank you guys for coming. Listen, I want my prayer team to come. I want uh, people who've been used to pray for other people, you come. And we're going to open the altar up.